Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Lord, we're so grateful for the book of Revelation and how relevant it is now in this hour more than ever before. We pray that you would help us, God, to glean tonight from your word, from the book of Revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in this series on the book of Revelation, and tonight's uh, session is entitled Eternal Attributes of the Lamb. Now, we could have done this session uh, early on if we wanted to. We could have included it in our you know, first chapter of book of Revelation sort of uh, conversations and dialogues when we were at that point in our study. But uh, I think it might fit better here for a very different reason, uh, and that is the application of these attributes. I feel like having af- uh, after having spent the time that we have in the book of Revelation and talking about Jesus, who's coming back to rule and reign, I think these attributes will actually make more sense. So as we uh, start here, uh, letter uh, or uh, Roman numeral one, the Lamb who is worthy of it all. That's a statement that it's in songs, it's in our, you know, it's in our vernacular, it's a concept that we have that Jesus is worthy of it all. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be worthy of all? Worthy of what? All of what? And what we're going to look at (coughs) tonight is we're going to break down uh, a portion of worthy of it all. What does that mean? And we're going to do it by a a twofold uh, repeated um, uh, phrase In the book of Revelation, we find it in chapter 5 and we find it in chapter 7. And in both of these places, it's either a seven or potentially an eightfold exhortation of what it is that are eternal attributes of Jesus. Now, I want us to just recognize that we know Jesus is eternal. So to identify certain attributes as attributes of Jesus forever is kind of a, an extra um, you know, uh, attention grabber to identify them as attributes attributed to him forever. Because we, we know, it's like Jesus is eternal, everything about him is eternal. Why call these attributes eternal? And I think that it's uh, so that we can start to recognize the weight of Jesus leading with these attributes in ages to come, not just in past ages or this current one that we would recognize these attributes as part of his leadership, gifting, gift mix, strategy, you know, character, nature, in the future, not just in the past or in the end time drama. So this uh, twice repeated sevenfold uh, revelation, again, it's found in chapter five and then also in chapter seven. And I'm gonna read you a couple of different versions. The reason I'm gonna do that, I'll read it out of the NIV and then I'm also gonna read it out of the New King James is because the New King James changes up the words a little bit. I think that's helpful. And uh, took the liberty of actually adding an attribute. So in uh, NIV, it's uh, seven twice. And, uh, and in the New King James, it's actually seven once and eight a second time. So I'm going to read these to you so that you can kind of get it here. I'm on page one, Revelation 5, verse 12. <clears throat> in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive some stuff. He was slain so that he could receive some stuff from God. He was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom 
and strength and honor and glory and praise. So there's seven. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 12, so 512 and 712, 712 says, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. These attributes to be ascribed to him forever. Well, the list in New King James is a little bit different. Rather than read you the verses, I'll just point out the, the, uh, the words that are uh, slightly different. Uh, uses The New King James uses the word riches instead of thanksgiving, and then also uses the word strength instead of might. Now, strength instead of might makes a lot of sense to us, but riches instead of thanksgiving is a, a little bit different language. But since wealth is in one of the other lists, it, it all works out. So anyway, I just I want to read the list now because we've now got a list of, uh, of eight attributes that we're going to be looking at, and uh, really even potentially nine. And that is, we've got in the NIV, power, wealth, thanks, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise. And then in the New King James, power, riches, wisdom, thanksgiving, might, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Now, I know I read those fast, so it's probably no way for you to take them in. Don't worry, the entire session tonight is about those. So we're going to unpack them now a little bit. But before we do, I want to just make note, because I always love these little these little um, breadcrumb trails from the Holy Spirit. As I started to look throughout the scripture to go, is this mentioned anywhere else? Is this, are these with this fat of a list? I don't mean two or three of them made it into a verse, but you know, seven or eight of them. Is there any other place that this is listed out this way? It's only listed out one other time. And it's in the occasion where King David is telling his son Solomon to build the 24-7 house of prayer. It's when King David is telling Solomon, listen, I'm about to pass. Your job is to build the house of prayer. You're to build the, the temple so that we can move the worship and praise ministry into it. He says, I want you to build the house of prayer. And in that, David starts prophesying about the worth of who God is. And he says this in 1 Chronicles 29. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise to you. Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. So there's that whole eternal nature thing. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. I just found it to be interesting that the only other passage that uh, identifies these same attributes are is a passage where David is saying to his son Solomon, build the structure that is supposed to emulate the throne room of heaven, which is where the two other verses in Revelation, Revelation 7, uh, 5.12 and Revelation 7.12, are happening in the throne room around the throne. And now you've got David here saying, He's in the middle of exhorting his son to do this, and all of a sudden he just starts worshiping God. And he starts worshiping God with the same language that's being repeated around the throne. Just another one of those little hints that David was seeing in his day 
visions of the throne room in order to be able to build a prayer and worship ministry that modeled after the, the reality of heaven. Anyway, that was just a bonus. I just threw it in there because I thought it was beautiful. All right, so these attributes, this, you know, sevenfold exhortation or eightfold, depending on, you know, how you count them up, this, uh, uh, these lists of attributes, they're required to rule. That's the part that I want us to, uh, to kind of flow out of tonight. It's not just that these are attributes of God, because they are, but that they're attributes that Jesus is actually going to need in his leadership of the millennial earth and the ages to come. Now, that word ascribe, David used it a number of times in the Psalms. Psalm 29, 1 through 2, get a couple of those uh, phrases here. He says this, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. So this is another one of those windows into heaven. Like, David, how do you, what do you know about the throne room to even say things like this? How do you know this is going on there for you to word statements that makes it sound like you were looking straight into Revelation 4 and 5 with the living creatures or heavenly beings around the throne worshiping night and day? He says this, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. This is David giving this admonition to ascribe to the Lord, which that word ascribe, it's kind of defined as assigned, owned, attributed to. It, this idea of ascribe, it's not, it's not give him something he doesn't have, it's tell him what he does have. This is the give the rightful honor and recognition of the attributes of God. Ascribe to the Lord. Tell him he's awesome because he was awesome before you told him, but now go ahead and tell him. Ascribe to the Lord. Declare the nature that is reality. This is the nature of Christ, these attributes that we're looking at. These qualities, they're innate to Jesus. They can't be gained or, or lost. These are realities of who Jesus is. They're, they're proclaimed realities as an overflow of who he is. But they require no effort on his part. Jesus doesn't have to wake up in the morning and go, oh, I better be honorable today so that they can ascribe honor to me. He is honorable. Honor is due his name, is due who he is. But while there's no striving to improve upon these things in any area, this is just who Jesus is, I do want to point out the twofold uh, recognition. One, it says that he was slain to receive these things. So there was a point where these things were still yet to be imparted to him. Second, he is a human king forever, and humans, when they're you know, alive, they need help from God. Humans need God help. And Jesus, as we read in uh, uh, Philippians 2, made himself nothing in order to need God. That is just a, the most humble act that has ever been committed by anyone ever, you're God and decided to lay aside godness in order to be a weak human to need God. That is just unbelievable. Here's Philippians 2. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, <coughs> did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. 
Here's what, me, here's what this means. Jesus, you're God, but you chose to not, you, you chose to consider equality with God irreverent, not to be grasped. You chose to humble yourself before God and not be God. You chose to make yourself nothing. So Jesus showing honor and, and such esteem to the Father, he makes himself nothing. But do you know then what it says? The Father then says, if you'll give me the, the connect the dots revelation here. The Father says, oh son, because you chose to be slain, you now receive back the things that you laid down. You now receive back glory, honor, wisdom, strength, power, praise. You receive back, because you were slain, you've received these things. There's just unbelievable humility and, and honor within the Godhead here. I mean, there's just, it's unbelievable to see this. But in human weakness, Jesus needs God. And God says, I will meet you at your need, and I will ascribe to you these attributes forever. You will be given these things forever and ever. Amen. Not so that you can be equal to me because being equal to me is what you need because you're insecure. Not at all what's happening. He says, you're going to need these things to rule my kingdom the way that I want you to. You're going to need these attributes. And because the Father would, Jesus says to the Father, I don't consider equality with you something to be grasped. The Father would say back to the Son, I don't consider you being unequal to me acceptable. <laughs> so I'm, I'm bringing you back into that reality. And so he is made, while human forever, he has the attributes of God. These qualities are needed to rule. We've been looking at the fact that Jesus is coming back at the end of the age to rule and reign in the nations. It just so happens these attributes will serve him so, so well. To be the king, to be the leader, to be the man of God, to be the follower of God that he is going to need to be to orchestrate the kingdom and the government of God on the earth as it is in heaven. The way that the Father wants... He's actually going to need these attributes in operation in order to be able to pull it off. Now, as I said before, God doesn't need any more of anything. Jesus has all he needs. Nothing new can be given to him for him to accomplish the tasks with perfect execution. He already had all he needs. But the Father is restoring these realities because Jesus the Son laid them down. So I gave you a few verses there. But I just want to give the, the uh, response of the nations. So after Jesus has been ruling and reigning with these attributes that are ascribed to him forever, these will be with you forever and ever, amen. Okay, that's what it said in Revelation. I believe it was the 7, uh, 12 verse. This is what it says now. This is now the, the, the perspective of the people of God on the earth during the millennial reign. During some period of time into Jesus' reign, Somebody rises up and says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. 
What's being described here is the millennial perspective of someone in that time period, and they're seeing Jesus ruling and reigning with these attributes, and they say, he's ruling with equity, he's ruling with brilliance, the Lord reigns, we celebrate it, this was a good idea, his leadership is excellent, but I want us to recognize his leadership is in operation of these attributes, so let's look at them. I'm going to read them to you one more time as we'll then look at them individually. And here's what I did in this final section, just so you can kind of get a feel for the flow of Roman numeral three. Roman numeral three includes the attribute, a little description about it, and then other places in the book of Revelation where that attribute is shown. Other places in the book of Revelation where God is showing himself as the God of all honor or Jesus is showing himself as the the lamb who is worthy or whatever it is, whatever the attribute is, these are all going to be Bible verses out of the book of Revelation that one attribute at a time, the book of Revelation highlights outside of the list merely. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, strength, and riches, or wealth. All praise belongs to God. This is letter A, uh, page three at the bottom. All praise belongs to him. It's uh, do our hearts total adoration of him as a leader. That all praise, the, the praise of our hearts, all honor, all, all adoration uh, out of our hearts for him as a leader, because it's not just praise, it's praise because of who he is and praise of what he's doing. I want you to think about the song that we just read, uh, that little uh, uh, snippet out of Psalm 96, where the psalmist, it was David, where the psalmist writes and says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. It's this idea that he's in his place, he's in his place of authority, and as a leader, the whole earth marvels at his leadership and praises him because he's so awesome as a leader. Like, you are an incredible leader. This was a really good decision on the part of the Father. All praise is yours. You, you are the man. It is total heart adoration. That's, what's, that's the essence there. It's the heart adoration. It's not robots that are forced to praise him because they must or be turned into dust. It's people with hearts that are adoring him, recognizing who he is and giving him that rightful adoration. Well, I just put in here other places in the book of Revelation where we see people worshiping him, where we see that, that adoration happening. Again, right around the throne, Revelation 11 the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshiped God. This, you are worthy of all praise, it's already being modeled in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation 14, 7, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea and the springs of water. Revelation 15, 4, you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. All the nations are going to come and they're going to give you the rightful praise you deserve. Not because they have to, but because they recognize you're incredible. Also, Revelation 19, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. For uh, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Throughout the whole point, uh, uh, process of the great tribulation, <clears throat> his worthy of all praiseness aspect 
will be in full esteem. So even in the midst of the judgments and everything, he's being declared as the one who's worthy of all praise and the charges given to all his servants. Praise him, worship him because he's awesome. His leadership is excellent, but the context of Revelation 19 is that all these judgments just happened. Even in the midst of the judgments, all praise is due him. Worship God, it says in Revelation 19.10. Let's move on to glory. All glory is his. He is glorious. His leadership is glorious and will be glorious. Everything about him is awe-striking. There is nothing about him, whereas we were told that there was nothing about him that would cause us to esteem him in his physical appearance during his first coming. Everything about him will be awe-striking as we move forward. Every aspect about him, he is glorious. To him be glory, it says in Revelation 1. It says in Revelation 11, the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Revelation 14, 7, fear God and give him glory. 15, uh, 4, you, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? That's not a neat phrase. It's a statement of accuracy. Who will exist and not bring glory to your name? What person will continue to exist and not have the recognition you are glorious and therefore you should be told you are glorious? Who will, who will that be? And there will be no one <laughs> because he is glorious in his leadership in the age to come. Let us rejoice and give him glory. Just a bunch more verses that say the same thing, but they're all revelation verses. It's verses in Revelation that are saying the same thing as Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, which said that these attributes will be attributed to him forever. Revelation attests to this fact, yes, glory is on the list. The, his wisdom is unmatched. Every wise thing that has ever been is an overflow of God. Every wise thing, every, anytime you would appreciate the wisdom of something, oh wow, I'm glad they put that stop sign there. It's like, anytime you see wisdom in operation, that wisdom is an overflow of him. Just as a little, uh, if you're, you know, relatively new to your Bibles, if you don't know this already, every time wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs, it's Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. It's, it's the essence and the nature of God. Wisdom is personified again and again all throughout the book of Proverbs. And it's, it's Jesus as our big brother in the faith giving us words of understanding and wisdom. And he's personified again and again in the book of, of Proverbs. It's, it's beautiful. Next time you read Proverbs, take that into mind as you go and process it. My point is simply this. Any wise thing that has ever been, it's an overflow out of God. He is wisdom and his wisdom is unmatched. I'm the alpha and the omega. I put that in there because he invented wisdom. If you're the beginning and the end, you're the guy that invented everything that is. Wisdom is on the list of things that were invented. It was invented by the Alpha and the Omega or the words of the first and the last. The words of the first. Can you imagine wiser words than words that would come from the one who was first? I am the first. Tell us about it. <laughs> Whatever you have to say is infinitely smarter than anything else we'll come up with. I am the first and the last. Uh, Revelation 1 and this is a, a New Testament uh, uh, theme, mysteries, the mysteries of God. Do you know what the mysteries of God require? The wisdom of God to interpret. If you've got a mystery that comes from God, nobody's cracking that egg without God's help. 
And that, that egg cracking comes by the wisdom of the Lord. So we see here the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. I hid a matter. I concealed a matter. And now with that mystery in place, now I will interpret it. I will give you my wisdom. I will help you to understand because I am wise forever. Wisdom has been ascribed to me forever and ever. Amen. Can you just imagine how much better it is that Jesus will be ruling as the wisest man who's ever lived? He'll be ruling with wisdom that's been ascribed to him forever. So all of his decisions, there's just no leader like that. (laughs) It's just not even a little bit. This leader will only lead with the wisdom of God. He will only make decisions that will be praised as, that is the wisest thing I have ever heard. Didn't you say that yesterday? Yeah, but this topped it. Came out of the same mouth. It was Jesus yesterday. It was Jesus today. That is a wise man up there. This guy has got the cookies. I mean, he knows where it's at. He's entitled to all thanksgiving. Top of page five. He is worthy of our gratitude forever. This is one of the things that I, uh, I think about pretty frequently. Not necessarily how I'm going to be... Uh, thanking him forever. I try to thank him forever now as kind of a pre, it was a little warm up. I try to be filled with gratitude because I know everything he does is good. And so I can thank him for whatever's happening because I know that he genuinely is doing something good, worthy of thanksgiving for now and forever. This is a fun attribute of God that he is always to be thanked. He is one who inspires and incurs thanksgiving. What an awesome leader. I want you to think about millennial Jesus ruling the earth, okay? And he does something, and everybody, they don't just shake their head and go, wise. They go, thank you. (laughs) For what? For that. That thing you just, thank you. Wow. Our lives are going to be so much better because you just did that. Because you said that. Our lives are better because you thought that up and then told us your thoughts and are now allowing us to act on those thoughts. Thank you. What kind of a leader? That is the best leader ever, the one that gets thanked every day for how awesome their ideas are, for how kind they are. That there's no end to the thanksgiving. Thanksgiving ascribed to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. But remember, that means while he's walking around the millennial earth doing stuff, people are coming up to him and going, thank you, this, thank you, this is incredible. I'm going to be on that team. I'm going to be on team thank you. I'm going to be showing up. I'm going to thank him for all kinds of stuff. I'm going to be the guy that thanks him for the dumbest stuff out there because everything that he does is worthy of thanksgiving and honor. He's to be esteemed forever. No one like you. No one like you. Again, I gave you some verses on the Thanksgiving. You can go see them there. All in Revelation. He's due honor. He will lead honorably. Oh my gosh, that's, that's such the ache that everybody has right now, isn't it? That there's no leaders leading with honor. We want to see honorable people leading with honor, making honorable decisions, taking ownership for things. We want, to, we want leaders that are honorable. He will be esteemed as the most honorable man forever. His decisions, his responses, 
You know, it's going to be really interesting to me because the only attribute that Jesus said about himself in the first coming, the only time he ever said an attribute about himself was he said, I am meek and lowly. So the only attribute he ascribed to himself in his earthly reign was humility. What does it look like when Jesus, as the millennial king of the earth, does something humble? <laughs> On a Tuesday, he just, you look, you go, I cannot believe he just did that. <laughs> I, I am not okay right now. He is so meek and lowly still. He is such an honorable man and we will be enthralled with his honor. We will be blown away and we will esteem him because honor is due him forever and ever. Amen. He's also the most powerful person in the universe. All power and honor and glory. You remember? Power is on the list. All power belongs to him. This is really cool and if it weren't Jesus, it would be the scariest thing ever when you're talking about a leader with all power. You know, all power corrupts absolutely, or absolute power corrupts, it's like, not with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is gonna have all power, and he's gonna do it perfect in a way that we all look at it, and we're gonna marvel at the way that wisdom, and humility, and love, and honor all worked so that it was right that he also had all power because he never did anything with it except what was right and good and holy and pure. He is going to lead the nations with all power. <laughs> That's, that is awesome because that means there's nothing that can get in his way. It means he can get stuff done. You know, as a leader in, in the lowest of lowercase l roles of leadership, it's helpful to have a little bit of power to get a little bit done. When you get a little bit more power, it's helpful because you can get a way more done, which is even a little bit more. Jesus is never going to lack power to accomplish the purposes of God. All power ascribed to the Lamb forever. I gave you a bunch of verses. Strength without comparison. Now I look at this as different. This strength is the, the idea of like his physical ability. His physical strength, his stamina, his, his strength of will, his strength of body, his strength of mind, his strength, you know, to be able to lift stuff. I mean, his strength. There's no leader with this kind of strength. There is no comparison. He's unsurpassed. We love the stories. We love it in the movie. When the hero, he's like so tired. He's been in like all the fights. He's, he's down and out. He just got shot or kicked in the face or something. He's on the ground and it's like he's just done and somehow he gets up and fights some more. We love that. We love that like, oh, strength came from somewhere that we cannot even identify. Some strength of will, something caused that guy to get up. Jesus will never lack all strength. The reason that that's so encouraging from a leadership perspective, we want leaders that don't lay down. <laughs> we want leaders that don't get tired. We, want, we love the idea. It's the reason that the Israelites picked Saul. They looked at Saul and they said, that's a big, tall man who looks like he can kick some tail. We want that guy. We don't want the wimpy kid, you know, the, you know, the 18-year-old wimpy, like totally out of shape, you know, can't run across the parking lot. I mean, it's like, 
They don't want that guy. They want King Saul. He's a head and shoulder above everybody else. You know, that's who they want because we want that kind of a leader. And the esteem of Jesus is that strength is ascribed to him forever. And he will be that kind of a leader. Last one we'll look at. Then we'll get into our discussion groups. He's the wealthiest man in history. All wealth is his, ascribed forever. All wealth. Glory, honor, praise, you know, the whole list. All wealth. When you talk about wealth, again, the New King James, I think, uses the term riches. Riches, wealth. That's another one of those dynamics that's really helpful to have as a leader. It's, and I just want to tell us this. That, you know, you're probably already aware of this, but money isn't evil. It's the root of all, the love of it is the root of all evil. It's not having it, it's loving it. The love of money. The reason I bring that point up, God is the one that invented money. Gold didn't just happen to appear on the planet under the dirt and be shiny and a bunch of people go, let's trade that. That wasn't man's idea, it was God's idea. God created money, he created wealth, he created riches, he created the economies of the earth in order to develop a system where we would actually need some sort of currency in order to exchange to get stuff done. God created the system on earth where riches get stuff done and no riches don't get stuff done. God created that system. Now, there's a lot of ways that it's been tainted, a lot of things that, are, that have happened bad, but the very thought process of, I'll trade you a goat for a sheep, that very construct in man's mind was the idea of economy, was the idea of wealth and riches. Well, if I, if I already got some sheep, so if I can get a goat, then maybe I can get the goat and the sheep to make more sheep. Or, I mean, I, mean it's, I don't know how that works. But anyway, you probably, you probably don't want goats and sheep making babies. But, but anyway, but my point with that is, is that you've, you've got this whole concept of economy that isn't evil, it's not human, it's something God put into place. And even when Jesus is ruling the nations, he'll be ruling with human wealth. He will rule with money. He will be the richest man ever. There's nothing he won't be able to build. Currently, the most expensive structures in the earth, there's a couple of them here in Arlington, some big old structures, the biggest structures, the most expensive buildings, they will be so surpassed, we won't even talk about these little trinkets anymore. The wealthiest man in all of existence, in all of history, who's been ascribed wealth from the Father is going to be ruling the nations with infinite wealth. I gave you a few verses there that just talk about his wealth. I'll, I'll end with Revelation 21, 24. As if he didn't already have enough wealth, it says this in Revelation 21, 24, describing the leadership of the nations in uh, the period of the millennium. Revelation 21, 24, it's the last verse on here. The nations will walk by its lights, the light of the new Jerusalem, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The kings of the earth are going to have been spending the year going, what's the coolest, most expensive stuff we can bring Jesus? Let's load it all up on trucks or whatever we take. Let's go to Jerusalem and let's present it. Let's take him the best of our nation. 
Let's take him wealth and all that we've got that is the best. Let's take him the splendor, the best of our goods, the most expensive of our wares. Let's bring him the splendor of our nation. And Jesus will be brought the riches of the nations year after year after year. And he'll turn around and invest that back into the development of the earth in the most incredible ways that we will be so in awe of him and giving lots of thanksgiving and praise. Okay. Amen. Well, at this point, now we're going to break up into groups for discussion. Luke, how many groups we got tonight? Three groups of six to seven. And who are my group leaders? I get. All right, John is where? All right, John's right there. So John, just stay put. Andy there. Luke, why don't you come this way just a little bit? So groups of six or seven. So uh, uh, the question I think that you're asking is related to the lamb who was slain. The question is, was his slainness... A, a, a definition of who he is or a prerequisite for receiving these things? Both. So, uh, so he, it was always known that he, to, to change it ever so slightly so that we can understand it for the moment, that he would be slain. We knew that he would be slain. The, the father always knew that that was the reality of his future before it had happened. But it was in his nature and of his essence and who he was from the beginning that that's who, what would happen. So it's the thought that Jesus, that there could have somehow been another way and Jesus not have been slain is unthinkable because he is the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. So before the creation, this was his identity. But it's because he was slain that he receives these attributes. And so it's both. Great question. Over here. Yeah, so these attributes, are they qualities that he has now or are they future or is there some in either category? Same answer I gave Andy, both. Uh, the, the, the answer is these things are his, yet there is so much about the way that they will be expressed that has not yet been expressed because the context has not been met for the expression. And so, you know, you brought up the point, all wisdom is his, but he's not yet been able to act on it the way that he will when he's leading the planet real time. All praise is his, but right now, most of humanity isn't praising him, but a time's coming when all humanity will. And so there's, so all, all those attributes, they're ascribed to him forever, because he was previously slain, this, this lamb slain previously, you know? So, uh, so they're real now, but they're not in action uh, in the fullness of what they will be. And I, I'll just go on, you know, to say this. I think we will find out things about him and his future plans where we'll be able to say the exact same statement a billion years from now. We'll go, actually, there's some aspects about him that have not yet... We've not been able to see him operate in wisdom in that category yet because he just told us in the 32nd New Testament, after he's given us a New Testament and another new and a new and newer and newer, because he's going to keep talking. And as long as it's red letter, it's, it's gospel. I mean, it's, and so he's going to keep giving us information about the future because it says the Holy Spirit was given to us to show us what would come. Okay? He's going to continue to prophesy and tell us about future ages. And we're going, to look at it, we're going to look at an age or two out that he's going to give us a glimpse into. And we're going to go, oh my gosh, it's really going to get awesome in that age. After having experienced everything we've already experienced, we're going to continue to have our mind blown by the realities that are innate to him that have yet to find their fullness of expression 
because there's no way to exhaust him. He's inexhaustible. And so however cool he is, he'll only be cooler. However wise, only wiser. However rich, richer. It's like he's going to go find some planets that are made entirely of gold. Entirely gold solar system planets. All of them. He'll just be like, oh yeah, we'll just we'll pick those planets up one at a time and mine them. I mean, he's just going to keep getting richer and wiser and better and stronger and mightier and praiserier. Okay. Uh, yeah, John. Why do I feel like the father had to send his son? Man, we, we're just, we're going Sunday school here. Uh, okay, so I hope I paid attention. I wasn't in Sunday school. I was lost. I was, um, so the father, why did the, the father have to send the son? So the, um, the real trick in all of the redemptive thought process is before God made man, he knew what man was going to do. In fact, one third of the Trinity was a lamb of sacrifice to fix that future problem that hadn't happened yet. So the lamb slain from before the creation. So, so the father knew, this is just, the bigness of God is actually, uh, it's, it's amplified in our understanding by the weakness of man. Like the super weakness of man. God knew there was no way mankind was going to do it right. It's like, you are completely unable to pull this off. Like, you are, you are going to botch this. You're going to eat that fruit. I just know it. I'm going to tell you don't, and you're going to do it. And, and so it's like, so from this, this, just pay attention to this. Think about this. You know, the idea, you love the, the uh, in, you know, romantic, you know, whatever movies and stories, hearing about these two soulmates, whether that's real or not. But these two people that were made for each other, these two people that are incredible for each other, these two people that like, they get each other so well. I want you to think about this. We were always going to be the bride of Jesus Christ. So always, even before humans were made, we were part of the storyline in connection to the Trinity by being the bride of the Son, by being Jesus' bride. That was always part of the plan. It was always the plan that the church, that the bride of Christ, would be intricately connected to God as the bride of the Son. So before mankind was ever made, God, in his infinite and pre-understanding you know, uh, of how everything would go, God in his godness was making provision for the future bride. That's just... so. It was unthinkable. It was impossible that man was going to make it out of this thing alive. We were going to need redemption. It's part of the plan of humility. It's part of the, the purposes of the Lord. It's part of our needing, leaning and limping, you know, coming out of the wilderness, leaning on our beloved, is that we, the, uh, mankind was always going to need a Savior, and that Savior was already Savior before there was a mankind to save. So great, great question, and Holy Spirit and angels, help me on that one. Okay, amen. All right, uh, so worship leader, come on up, and uh, guys, we're doing it. We're marching through Revelation. You've done great here. You're hanging in there. Well done. Um, Father, we want to ask you in Jesus' name for continual grace as we study the Word, as we talk through these themes, that our hearts and our lives would be uh, impacted, God, as we study the book of Revelation. Give us continual clarity. We pray in Jesus' name. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.